Well, hey, good morning, Brookside. How are you today? It's great to see you. Hey, I want to tell you, your worship's been good today. Man, that was really strong. I was telling Rob back there, I was like, man, the church sounds so good today. Maybe it's Mother's Day, huh? Um, moms, uh, happy Mother's Day to you. Um, we're so grateful for you. Not only the impact that you have um, in our church and in our city, but particularly in the next generation. And uh, we're super grateful for you uh, today. So, um, so a huge happy Mother's Day to all of you. Um, super grateful for Lisa. Didn't she do a great job sharing her story? Let's thank her again. Yeah, awesome. Speaking of Mother's Day, Christine and I got a good laugh yesterday. She showed me this picture. This was, was, was of our youngest four years ago. Um, he was in like, a, I was his hero during this phase of his life. And so his message to his mom that day was, you're the number one mom, dad. <laughs> so I wasn't number one after he did that. But anyway, um, but really, moms, happy Mother's Day. Um, we love you and uh, we're, we're so grateful for you. Um, well, before we head into our series this morning, where we're going to continue on in our Measurably More for the City series, um, I wanted to tell you about where we're going to head in just two weeks. We're going to be in a new series called Everyday Heroes. And uh, what we're going to do is straight out of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to look at six different Old Testament characters that had big faith, um, people that lived with a sense that, God, you can. They weren't perfect, as we're going to see. They're going to have a lot of flaws, actually, that we're going to look at and really be able to relate to but in this series, we're going to be challenged to say, okay, God, what does it mean for us to live with big faith, even with the flaws that we have and our own inadequacies? And so just wanted to tell you that's coming. Excited for that. That'll be in two weeks. You won't want to miss that. That's on May 26th. That will start. Uh, well, as you know, uh, this is such an exciting time in the life of Brookside Church. Um, in this series, uh, we've been talking about what does it mean for Brookside Church to live immeasurably more for the city? What does it mean for us to pray those kinds of prayers? What does it mean to trust God that he will do immeasurably more in our midst? And so today we are in week three of a four-week series that's really launching the church into a whole three-year uh, process. And so during this series, we've been in the book of 2 Corinthians. And so if you've got a Bible, if you want to turn there now, that would be great. Or you can click there or whatever. Um, we're going to be in, starting in chapter 5 this morning. Next weekend, everybody, we conclude this series. And that's going to be our Commitment Sunday. That's going to be a huge weekend, really, in the life of our church. What I want to do, though, um, before we really jump into our new passage for this morning, is I want to go back to where we've already been a little bit, because really where we've been is really important. It's so foundational to, to where we're going and everything that we're doing as a church. And I also want to say this. If you've missed any of these weeks of this series, if you missed week one or week two, um, would you please go online and take the time to watch uh, those mornings, because we're talking about so much that's happening and, and where we're going as a church. And uh, not only do I want you to be informed, but I want you to be able to celebrate um, with us what God is doing in our midst. And so please take the time. We'd love to have you uh, just stay caught up on what's going on around here. So in week one of this series, by review here really quickly, we talked about this. We asked the question, why? Why do we do what we do as a church? Why do you do what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ? Why? Why do you love people sometimes that are hard to love? Why do Christians do the things that they do? We ask this question, what compels the church? Proverbs 31, what compels the church to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves? Uh, what compels the church to look at another part of our city now in these next three years and say, Lord, would you break our hearts for the things that break the heart of God? Why do we do that? What compels us? 
Uh, what causes us to look right here at this campus and to say, hey, we've got an underserved group of people, the fastest growing population in the Omaha metro. How can we strategically serve them and meet their spiritual needs? Why do we do those things? Look with me at verses 14 and 15. Here's the answer. It says this. It says, for Christ's love, Apostle Paul writes to the, to, to the Corinthians, for Christ's love, he says, compels us. It's our motivator. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. So there's this element of conviction right out of the gate. We are convinced. There's a conviction, and here it is, that one died for all, Jesus Christ, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know, I have this little stack of cards on, on my desk, and, and I, in, in this stack of cards, I have different things that I want to keep in the forefront of my mind, whether it's subjects that I just want to stay up on biblically or just things that I want to have really just embedded in my heart and in my mind. At the top of this one, it says this, and I read this, you know, a couple times a week. It says, why take new ground, question mark? Why be a church that we look ahead? Why be a church that we say as a staff, we're resolved to progress? We say, God, we know you have big things for us. Why? Why do that? You know what the answer I've got underneath that? Here it is. It's these verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Look at it again. Why? Because Christ's love compels us. Why do you walk across the street? Why did Lisa get invited to Brookside? Because Christ's love compelled Lindsay. She extended an invitation. Why do we do what we do? Because Christ's love compels us us. Why after you, many of you found Jesus Christ, and if you're not a Christian, you might have seen this in one of your friends as they came to know Christ, why did all of a sudden your motivations and your goals and your aspirations and the things that used to maybe get you fired up didn't, don't get you fired up as much as they used to, and now there's this whole new set of things that you get really excited and really passionate about, and most often, those things are people. Why? Because Christ's love, it compels us because we're convinced, it says, one died for all. The death of Jesus Christ, it's on my mind, it's on your mind, it's on our hearts. And therefore, and it says, and he died for all that those who live, so now it's directing me, okay, in light of what he did, so now therefore those who live, we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them, for us, and was raised again. And so in week one, we answered that question, why? And specifically right now, Right now, our why, what motivates us right now is as we look ahead in these three years, a huge time in the life of Brookside, we're saying, Lord, we've got these two exciting projects. We've got this Elkhorn campus, and we want to get that thing ready. We want to get that thing ready so that adults and kids can walk into that and so that the gospel of Jesus Christ can change their lives, both now and then for all of eternity. We're looking at these next three years, our second project, and we're saying, okay, the fastest growing population in the Omaha metro, how can we meet the needs, the spiritual needs of a very underserved group of people? How can we do that? Oh, let's launch, let's seed this bilingual service. That's our why. Our why is we're compelled by the gospel, and those are the things that we want to tackle. Also in week one, as a review, just two weeks ago, if you remember this, if you were here, we also got to celebrate the launch of our very first correctional center campus down at the Douglas County Jail. And uh, that was a lot of fun during that service. We welcomed Mod 7 or Group 7 down there. That, that uh, unit in the jail uh, holds up to 65 guys. And I just want to tell you, I want to tell you how that went. I want to tell you how it was received. 
When I looked into the camera and I, I said this, hey, let's welcome for the very first time our friends down at the Douglas County Jail. Let's welcome our, our very first correctional center campus. And then you all started clapping. Do you remember this? And then your clap, clapping started to, to get a little rowdy in here, which is really great, you know? And, and then you started clapping more and you started standing up. And, and, and so the guys are watching this down in, in Mod 7. And, and they don't know what to expect. They, they know that we're there. And, but this was the first time they're really getting a feel for what is this going to be like? This church is welcome, whatever. And so one of the guys looks at the other guy and he says, hey, he just said Mod 7. They're talking about us. And then he goes, they're clapping for us. And then they started clapping with you, okay? So imagine, try to picture this. So now they're clapping. They stop clapping. You're still clapping. You're now on your feet, hooping and hollering. And another guy goes, man, they're still clapping for us. Look at them. They're even standing up for us. Think about that. Do you think that that's what they thought was going to happen that day in jail? Absolutely not. But you know what, church? You're compelled by the gospel. And because you're compelled by the gospel, you look at a group of people who are longing to have a new start on life. So many of them, they're at a place in their life where they're saying, hey, I need a new direction. Hey, I need to know who Jesus Christ is. I need a second chance. And you're providing that for them. We'll see what God does with that. We're so excited, though. One of the guys down there, he said this. He said, I've tried church before. I've never felt like it's been a very good fit. And he said this. Just after watching one weekend, he said this. I think Brookside's going to be a great place where I can fit in well. Another person said this. And one of the guys down there, he said, how do I get the word out while I'm still in here to my wife? How do I get the word out to her? Because my kids, he said, my kids need to know who Jesus Christ is. It's awesome. So in week one, we said, why do we do what we do? It's because we're compelled by the gospel. My prayer, everybody, by the end of this series is this, is that when you ask the question, why does Brookside do what it does, I hope that you have two things come to mind. Number one, the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then number two, the word, and the word starts with a C. Can someone help me? Compelled. Five of you are listening. That's awesome. <laughs> it's my wife, my uncle, Louis, Calvin, even my buddy, you know compelled. Why? We're compelled. Why do you do what you do? We're compelled. If the gospel moves us, it changes us. It influences how we think. In week two, then, we began to talk about how, and I gave you a disclaimer in week two. In week two, I, I just I was really honest with you. I said, this series is very different for us. In a lot of ways, this is a kitchen table uh, conversation, kitchen table level. And you know what I mean by that is this. If I come to the door, a guy came to the door just this week at our house and he was selling something, we had a very surface level conversation right there at the, at the door, right? And you go to the living room, though, in the house, if you get invited into the living room, you have a different level of conversation, up a few notches. But if you sit long enough at the kitchen table, you talk about the things that matter most. You count the cost. You decide where we're going. All of those kinds of things. That's what we're doing over these four weeks. It's a little bit different. And I said, if you're a guest here with us, we're really glad that you're here. Honestly, we're, we're, we want you to be able to listen in on this kitchen table conversation because it's really going to be very telling about where we're going. You're going to leave here and you'll be able to know that's why that church does what they, they do. And, it, and also I have a very clear picture. This is what it's going to take for them to get there. So in these four weeks, we're saying, hey, Lord, we want to be the kind of people, Lord, that as we look ahead, we plan, and we say, Lord, how can we steward so well the things that you've given to us? 
And so last weekend, we started to talk about that, how we looked at 2 Corinthians, not chapter 5, then we moved on to chapter 8, and we looked at this group of people. Do you remember this? When you think generosity in the scriptures, I want you to think Macedonians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Macedonians were a group of people, really it's a group of, of, uh, it's a collection of churches, and they're known in the scripture. The apostle Paul wanted us to, to learn from the Macedonians because they were so generous. Their example was one of those that he said, hey, I want you to be in a sense mentored by this group of people. They're doing this really, really well. And so when we looked at the Macedonians, we said this gives us also a very good window into, okay, what's the Bible's view on the follower of Jesus Christ? What's, what's the Bible's view on generosity? How should you think about, how should I think about my stuff? And we said, hey, it's okay to talk about this. Jesus talked about it quite often. And the reason why Jesus talked about it wasn't because he needs something from us. He didn't then and he doesn't now. He doesn't need anything from us. But in his love for us, he wants things for us. Jesus Christ is not opposed to your money. He's not opposed to your wealth. But he is opposed to your money and your wealth having you. And he created us, he created me and you to live with a sense of freedom, not bondage by our stuff, you know, really in, in bondage with greed and, oh, what's next for me and always me, me, me. No, Jesus said, I, hey, I'm giving you that stuff, I want you to steward it, but I long for you to be a part of things that will well outlive you. And so we said, it's okay to talk about. It should lead us to a place of freedom and joy. So then we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at the, these passages, these verses with me. The Apostle Paul says, learn from this group because their mindset was spot on. Verse 1, he writes, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. So they're a standout group, but know this about them. Verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, and, and we talked about that, they're facing persecution, but in addition to persecution, they're also facing some very tight economic times. So in the, in the midst of a severe trial, their, here it is, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty. So in the midst of that, it seems upside down what's about to happen, but in the midst of that, welled up in rich generosity. Paul writes, for I testify, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And, and then he says entirely on their own. So there's no begging, there was no guilt, no gimmicks, but it was just this overflow we're compelled by the gospel because we're convinced we didn't deserve grace, but we received it. For I testify, he says, they gave as much as they were able beyond their ability, entirely on their own. And then get this, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Notice the spirit behind them. It's like a child that's begging. But do you know how that feels when a child begs? Annoying, right? It's a nag. Ooh, stop, Right? This isn't like that, though. These are grown people begging, pleading. How can we be a part? Not how much do I... No, they, don't, they weren't thinking that. They were thinking, how, how, how much can I give? I want to be a part. They, they longed. They pleaded with us for the privilege of giving. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. That's so important. Everything flowed from there. That's why there wasn't guilt. That's why there was joy. First of all, to the Lord. That's where they were, their foundation was. And then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urged Titus, just as we did earlier, made, uh, made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And then he says, verse 7, but since you excel in everything. So he's complimenting them. He says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, 
in complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. And then he says, but see also that you all, the Corinthians, excel also in the grace of giving. Verse 8, he says, I'm not commanding you, no pressure, no guilt, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others, the Macedonians, for you know the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Notice what Paul does here at the very end. He takes them right back to the gospel. He says, hey, the reason why you look at your stuff differently is because you're overflowing with this realization. You're compelled by the gospel. You're overflowing with the realization that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, he left all the banquet of heaven and he became poor. He died. He gave it all. You talk about generosity. The apostle Paul, he says, that's the greatest motivator. And the reason why this church in Macedonia was so generous was, again, it goes back to that verse. I believe it's verse 5. They, they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. They were compelled by the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ's grace, grace had come to them, that's what pushed them. That's what motivated them. So that was chapter 8. Now today, flip to 9, chapter 9. This is our new ground. As Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth, now this topic of generosity is still on his mind but he moves from this example, the Macedonian churches, and now he's going to get very, very, very practical. It's three words that are going to describe their generosity, their giving. You're going to see this, generously, willingly, and joyfully. If you want to know, okay, what's the model? How should I apply this scripture? I hope that you'll walk away and you'll go generously, willingly, joyfully. Might that be my heart? Look with me at verse 6, chapter 9. Paul writes, remember this. I remember there were times when I would, as an adolescent, and my mom would be dropping me off at a sports thing or a school thing or friend's house or something, and, and she would say before I got out of the car, she would say, now remember this. And what she was about to tell me was not like, it's going to rain tomorrow. It's partly cloudy today. No, it wasn't surface level. Remember this. It was important. It was about character. It was about your future. It was about make good choices because you don't want to derail your life in the next couple hours, boy, right? It was important. I want you to remember this. The Apostle Paul writes with that kind of a posture. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is a foundational biblical teaching on generosity. It's an if-then statement. Whoever sows Sparingly, they're going to reap generously, but those who sow generously, oh, they're going to reap generously. Apostle Paul, he said this later to Timothy, and Timothy was a guy that he was mentoring. He referred to him as his son in the faith. He said this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Verse 19, he said, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Remember when Jesus said, hey, don't store up for yourselves just treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy it. These will break into steel. He said, no, 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 no. You think of heaven. Moth and rust won't destroy up there. Paul's echoing the same words. He says, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If you truly want to live, Paul was saying to Timothy, then tell the people so generously. So generously. When we moved into our house, the, the previous owner left this thing for us, uh, fertilizer. You've seen these. Maybe you've been using one in, in recent days. And uh, you know how these things work, right? So you buy a, a bag of seed, you know, free advertising for Scott's today. Um, and, uh, 
And what you do is this. You look on the, the, the back of the, the bag, and you are supposed to figure out, okay, how big is my lawn? Which do any of you know in, in feet how big your lawn is? No, it's a guessing game. There's no way to know, really. I mean, unless you measure it, which none of us do. But anyway, you, you figure that out, and then that tells you how much you're supposed to pour into here. And then when you pour it into here, you start cruising around your lawn. But there's one more very important thing. You've got to turn this dial. It goes from 1 to 10. Now, if you put it at a 1, and then you hit this lever, this little black thing that you can't see right in here, it moves just a little bit, like three seeds for every 15 steps. Not much, right? But if you turn it all the way to like five, you do a little bit better. If you crank the bad boy all the way to 10, you better walk fast because you're about to sow a whole lot of seed. And when you use this, you got to ask the question, how much seed do I want to sow? Because if you put it at a one, you can walk your lawn all day until you are exhausted and you will sow very little seed. But if you put it up a little bit higher, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten and you decide, oh, I'm going to sow seed, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sow a whole lot of seed. The Apostle Paul is saying this. you got to ask yourself the question, how much seed do you want to sow? Where do you want to crank the dial when it comes to the things of God? When it comes to expanding the kingdom of God? Do you want to sow a little? Are you a one? Or he's saying, hey, are you going to crank it all the way, and you're going to go all the way to 10? What does it look like? You know, many of you, you have sown generously over the years in this church. And I just want you to hear today thank you. Oh, thank you. People have a place to come today because you sow generously. There are people for decades that have been sowing generously. It allows leases to come. It allows me to find Christ as a 19-year-old. It allows you, it allows your children to be raised up. People have sowed generously, and it is impacting generations, and it will for generations to come. Look at verse 7. He says, each of you you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And this is important, particularly for us right now. Notice what's happening here. There's a sense that, okay, when you decide in your heart, you just don't like, oh, I decided in my heart. No. That took some planning. That took some prayer. That took some soul searching. That took some uh, getting on everydollar.com and looking at your budget and going, okay, this is reality. This is, this is what it looks like. But it takes intentionality. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. And then I love this, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. Again, Macedonians, there's no guilt, no gimmicks. But he says this, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember the Macedonians, the smile of God was on them, but why was the smile of God on them? It's because they pleaded they said, let us be a part. Let us be a part. We can give ourselves to all of these things in life, but they won't outlive us. But there are certain things called the giving to the kingdom of God that it will outlive us. It impacts the lives of people. It changes lives. And they said, we want to be a part of that. The smile of God was on them because they knew what they were a part of. Verse 8. And then it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly. Notice that it says, God is able. Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember what it says? Who gives you the ability to produce wealth? God. It's not you. When you look at your account, don't think, I did that. Think, I got to do that because God gave me the ability. It comes from the Lord. They knew that. Let me ask you, have you ever, have you ever been stretched in this area of generosity only to find that God provided in ways that you never imagined? You ever had that happen? 
you got challenged maybe in a series like this where a group was a nonprofit or a church or whatever was saying, gosh, we got to take new ground, and that's going to take extra, it's going to take above and beyond, and you got on board and you challenged and blah, blah, blah. Did you ever do that? And then you realize, wow, as the years went by, you're two into the three-year thing, you go, wow, we had no idea God was going to do this. We had no idea God was going to do that. Have you ever had that happen? I love hearing the stories of people that have had that happen. They say things like this. They say, we had no idea that God would provide the way that he did. Or other people will say this, we sacrificed, and you know what it did to our family? It helped us be unified. We actually had a purpose. We talked about things maybe for the first time even, and we said, wow, we're not, we're, we're just, we're not just in the crowd anymore. No, 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 we're a part of the core. We want to be a part of where God's taking things. It says this, though, God is able to bless you abundantly, and then notice this, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, he will abound in every, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, freely scattered, they cranked it to 10. They're sowing a whole lot of seed. Freely, it says, they've scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures for. Ever. In other words, they're not just cultivating some grass. They're cultivating changed lives, lives that are being changed both now and for all of eternity. Verse 10. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food, that's God, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Saying this, that when you fill this hopper with a lot of seed, don't be surprised if God provides for you in ways that you never expected before. Jeff, are you saying, if I turn this to a 10 and I say, yeah, I want to be part of what's doing, God's doing, is that verse saying that I will, when I get home, find a new Tesla parked in my garage? No. It'd be a prosperity gospel, not a true gospel. But what God is saying in these verses is this. Don't be surprised if you're blessed. And it might be tangible. Some of you have that story. But it might be very intangible. But regardless, you can count on this. You're part of things that impact all of eternity. And that's the joy. He says this in verse 11. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. In other words... There's something going to happen in you, like when you begin to like relinquish the things that matter most, that a spirit of generosity is going to be a part of who you are and how you live, and, and that's going to affect you on every occasion. And then it says, and through your generosity will result, and this is so huge, it will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, other people are going to praise God because of you. The most important thing, they're going to draw near to God because of you. It's beautiful. Verse 12. This service that you perform, in other words, your generosity, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. The seed is producing a crop. Verse 13, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Notice the result here. Their generosity is helping people experience who God is. God is becoming real to people because of this group's generosity. Verse 14, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Like they'll be grateful because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. And then verse 15, the last verse, he says, Thanks be to God for his 
indescribable gift. Notice where Paul goes right back to. He says, hey, if you want to be the person that you reap a big harvest, then you got to turn the dial. you got to go to 10. You know, so not sparingly, so generously, so you can reap generously. So he gets practical with us. But then notice where he ends up. Look at that. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He takes them right back to the why. 2 Corinthians 5, why? We are, see, caps are short to the sea. One, two, three, we are compelled. He says, hey, it's the indescribable gift of God. And so when that indescribable gift of God, when that gets your heart, oh, that's the thing. i got to take you back to that, Paul says. I want that to be in your mind. The indescribable gift of God is grace to you that you did not deserve. And when we sang that second song and we talked about how I once was a prisoner, and that didn't mean necessarily that all of you were behind bars, but it did mean this. All of you have once been in bondage by sin, and you were not experiencing grace. But then Jesus Christ, by his grace, unlocked the chains of bondage, the indescribable gift for us. I know a pastor, he told me this. He said there's a guy in his church that asks him, he says, once a year, he he comes up to him and he says, hey, can we meet about once a year? And he said, he he asks me to meet with him for this reason. He said, I asked him, I said, yeah, what 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 do you need? Why do we need to meet? And he said, well, I just need to tell you that I'm not, I need you to tell me I'm not crazy. And he said, oh, okay. I'm not sure if you're crazy or not, but whatever, you know. And, and so they get to talking, and he said, and here's why I asked this. Here's why I want to meet with you. He said, my accountant thinks I'm crazy. My accountant looks at my books and goes, you're crazy. Why are you so generous? He said, my, my friends think, a lot of them, they think I'm crazy. My kids are questioning my actions. They think I'm crazy. He said, I just need to remind you to remind me once a year or so from Scripture, and I'm not crazy, because I want to be involved in the things of God, but it seems like it's, a, it's not the natural flow of what I would normally do or what others are doing. And, and know this, church, everybody, straight from the Scriptures, every one of you, know this. You are not crazy to invest in the things of God. There are so many things that you can invest in, so many things that I invest in. But you know what? When we invest in the kingdom of God, here's what we're saying, everyone. This is so important. When we invest in the things of God, what we're saying is this. I want my life to outlive me. I want to leave a legacy. I want to prepare. I want to get a place ready for a group of people that maybe don't know Jesus Christ. And maybe just maybe somebody in that room will change their entire family tree. Maybe just maybe someone will sit in a service and they'll understand in their language the gospel for the very first time. Imagine that. Right here in Omaha, beautiful. Brookside, next weekend is a huge weekend for our church. We're calling it Commitment Sunday, and again, I'm talking to you if you are a Brooksider. If, if, if you're a guest, welcome to the kitchen, right? But if you're a Brooksider, next weekend is huge for us. Three and a half years ago when we went into an initiative called For the City, many of you, you came along, many of you did. You counted the cost. You did, what these, you did what, what, what's instructed here in Second Corinthians chapter 9. You planned. You prayed. You had the conversation at home. And you said, okay, this is what it looks like for us. And we want to be on board. We want to go on this journey. And know this. Once again this week, about 40 kids walked into our care center. Speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. They were served. Do you know why they were served? You know why some of them are going to find hope in Jesus Christ? Because some of you went on the journey last time. Actually, many of you went on the journey last time. Now we're looking ahead and we're saying, would you come along again? 
You know why we have this building out in Elkhorn and on the marquee it says Brookside Church coming soon? Do you know why we have that? It's because so many of you went on the journey and we were able at the end of last year to say, yes, we'll buy that property. That's a strategic move for this church. But now at church, we're at a pivotal moment again. And I'm asking you today, over the course of the next week, before next Sunday, would you sit down, would you plan, would you pray, would you have the conversation, whether that's an easier one or even a harder one in your home, but would you have it? And would you say, hey, could we be the kind of people that we don't sow sparingly, we don't keep it out of one and just hope a few seeds take root, but could we be the type of family that we say, no, we're going to sow generously because God's word, not my word, God's word says, when you sow generously, you will reap a harvest a big harvest. And it's not a harvest that's going to die. It's a harvest that's going to live for all of eternity. And so next weekend, we're going to give you these cards. We've got a picture of this just to show you what it looks like. We're going to give you these commitment cards when you come in. And, um, and you'll be able to fill these out. And, and you know what? Our hope for you is this. It, we hope that next weekend we come in and we look a whole lot like the Macedonian churches. And I don't mean like in the numbers, but I just mean in the, in the posture, like our willingness, our, our desire, our generosity. But even most of all, I pray that next weekend is so joyful. A guy came up to me even before the service today, and he's ready. He's already ready. He just said, man, we're, we're ready for next weekend. And you know what he meant by that? He means that they've already had the conversation. He means that they're already calculating it out. They're already going, hey, we want to be a part of expanding the gospel in our city. We long to be a part of it. I've never heard someone say, I regretted being generous. Never. Instead, I hear stories like this. We felt like God's plan for us in this generosity was this, and we were a little uneasy about that even. But now we've got a story to tell because God provided. And we're also seeing that we got to be a part of this and that. So many of you came on the journey last time. And our hope is this, beyond raising the monies that we need to do the projects. That's just reality. But beyond that, we're hoping we will take the trip together. We'll cross the finish line together. And we'll say, hey, look, church, look what we got to do. I mean, look at the last three years, church. It's phenomenal what we've been able to do. We want to get to the to next weekend and say, and then three years after that and say, look back, look at those three years. Look at all that God got to do in our midst and look at what he invited us into. Think about the people's lives. Think about who's going to sit in those seats. Who's going to hear about Christ for the first time? Who's going to go home and tell their kids about Jesus for the very first time? Who's going to be helped finding and following our Lord and Savior? That's our hearts. That's our desire. And so my ask of you today is simply this. Would you prepare this week? And would you pray your heart out for our church? It's a defining moment. I'll be honest, guys. Our goal is big. You've got this uh, card here on your, on your chairs today. You, you can find all the information about our projects, the things we're looking into. But this goal is very big for this church. It will take everyone. And so I'm asking you, whatever that looks like for you, would you come on the journey? Would you come on the journey? Um, you've got this card as well. And the only reason I mention this is you look at a card like this, it kind of lays out what it can look like for you. What you'll notice is this. Over 36, over 36 months, a monthly commitment adds up to a lot. And it's very impactful. Maybe you're a single mom and you're going, I don't know if I can be a part of this. Let me just say, whatever the sacrifice is, over a long period of time, 36 months, it makes a difference for the kingdom of God. And um, so what I'd like to do now is just pray together.
And let's pray for next weekend. And let's just ask God to do some, some phenomenal things between now and then. So yeah, if you pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your church. Father, I thank you um, for this example of the Macedonian church. And Lord, we want to be the kind of people we just say it to you right now. Lord, would you help us be the kind of people that willingly, generously, and joyfully we come before you. Lord, not for us, not building our name or anything like that, but God, we're saying we want to see the lives of people in our beautiful city changed for Jesus Christ. It's the greatest mission that we could be a part of. And so, God, would you lead us? Help us to be a church that's on mission, Lord. Lord, we love you. And Father, thank you most of all for your generosity to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.